Welcome to Shofar Cape Town South Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. All right. This morning, um, I want to I want to share something on you uh, that's really on my heart and has been for for a, a while, a couple of weeks, and I think it's going to be something that I'm going to just be sharing whenever I'm ministering uh, on, perhaps even for the next the rest of the year. Uh, but just returning back to the greatest call that, that there is in this life. In fact, all callings, um, either directly or indirectly, needs to flow into this because this is the great command that Jesus gave us, the great commission, um, and that is um, discipleship. And I, and I titled it The Lost or Learning or Relearning the Lost Art of Discipleship. Um, and, I, and I just like that image on the screen there, the, the chain and the rope. Um, and just, you know, there's almost like a bit of a messiness about it. You know, you're like, it doesn't look, you know, it looks a bit, bit, bit flimsy. Um, you know, it's a chain and a rope. And I think that's a, that's a good picture to me of discipleship. Discipleship is messy, right? It's some of you that it's really engaged discipleship. And, and you also, you always, you always get the sense that, you know, it doesn't feel like it's really going to work in terms of our human contribution. But somehow through God's grace, it just always comes. If you just look at all the stories, how many times have you read the Bible and then obviously we know the story, so we actually miss this a little bit, but you're like, there's no ways they're going to make it, right? It's like that movie and there's just no ways, no ways. Like they get to the Red Sea, it's over, it's over. And then last minute, right, God comes and, and he saves the day. And I think, I think discipleship like, is sometimes like that. It's a little bit messy. It's a little bit, you know, it's a rope and a chain. And you can see the chain's a little bit rusty and so on. But it, it's tight and there's a connection, right? And there's this real, real connection um, between the people of God. And the connection there is, is discipleship. And... And discipleship is so important, and it's and this this morning I believe is it's just an invitation to discipleship, um, and it's a perhaps an invitation for some of us to return to discipleship, or to um, to re-embrace what discipleship is and imparting life um, into people. And I've got a vision that I'm going to be sharing um, something that that um, just in worshiping this week, the Lord just showed me a picture that I want to share with you in a little while, but I'm going to start with a, a quote from Dallas Willard, who wrote a book on the Great Commission, you know, Matthew 28, verse 19, it's the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples, he says, go into all the world, okay, we, we, we know the Great Commandment, but he writes this book and he says it's the Great Omission, right, we've, we've forgotten about the most important thing, right, the Great Commission, and then he says the following, he says, the great greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heavens into every corner of human existence. That is such a powerful, powerful quote. If we look at the the destruction, the damage, the heartache, the pain um, that we're seeing around us, Jesus' answer 
to that problem is discipleship. He doesn't have another idea. God isn't, he doesn't do a plan A, plan B, plan C. It's not like, okay, this one is not really working. Let's go to plan B. God doesn't have a plan B, right? The, the, the answer still is the original answer that Jesus proposed to his disciples by saying, go into all the world and make disciples, right? Make disciples. And so um, it's important that we, we take the command of Jesus serious. And let me read from Matthew 28 verse 19, and then we're going to watch a little video clip. Alain, if you can please get us the video clip ready um, at the right time. A, video, a little video clip that I, that I saw this week, um, and, and just so, some stories that just really inspired me. But uh, verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so this week... Um, we're going to watch the video in a second. But this week, um, I, um, I, my, my, my son in Malaya is, uh, my son even has a, a, a comic book Bible. That's our current Bible that we're reading. It's actually it's quite, um, you know, sometimes you get the, the kids' Bibles and they like um, very uh, kiddie. <laughs> fantasy vibes. You look at it and you're like, that's not really what it was, but we, get, we want to try to communicate something to kids. Um, but this, this version is quite intense. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know if this is like, you know, appropriate for little kiddies, right? Because I think sometimes the Bible is not all ages. I don't know if you've realized. Actually, we're going to look at something in a second. Um, but the story that we look at, uh, um, or that we read, uh, when you put up that slide of um, Daniel, the, the comic book strip, um, I said we're going to go to the video, but let's just watch this. So, um, so we were reading this. Daniel's three friends were tied up and thrown alive into the furnace. The heat was so fierce that the gods themselves were badly burned. Um, and, you know, obviously they're saying, okay, well, your God's not going to do it. And then there's four men into the, uh, that stood in the furnace. Obviously Jesus being the fourth one. Uh, the fourth man is different. He looks like an angel of God. Right, um, and so I was re um, reading this and, 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 and sort of praying about this whole issue about discipleship, and I, I felt God say, this is now after I've read the story to the kids, I felt God said, go and learn from, from, um, from Daniel um, what discipleship is. Um, and so this morning is a little bit of a, a journey, because my first thought was, Daniel, discipleship? I don't really see the connection there. I don't see, you know. If you think of Daniel, there's a couple of things that comes up. It's the furnace, it's the Daniel in the lion's den, and then there's all these visions, right? Prophetic revelations and deep stuff. That's, that's my connotation to, to Daniel. I don't, didn't really see the discipleship connection. But we'll come back to Daniel, and um, I'll share some of what I've seen. Um, let's uh, watch the video. That I heard I will never forget it in my life. They were showing the Jesus film. Some of, many of you know the Jesus film. Their ministry was to show the Jesus film. That Campus Crusade. One of their ministries is to show the Jesus film. In all the rural parts. All over the world. They were showing it. I don't know if they show it still. But it was great. 
Now they're showing it in, in, in Afghanistan. They're showing the film in Afghanistan. So the guys were carrying the film. They were carrying the film from village to village. One village they were carrying it in, and they were going to show the film and then the next night. As they were going to show the film, an old village guy, a Muslim guy was walking. And he walked and he was close to the village. As he was nearing the village, he, saw, he crossed a little small bridge. And as he crossed that bridge, he saw a man sitting down and crying. And he was crying and he was weeping and he was crying and he was weeping. That man on the street. True story. So the man crosses this guy and he asks, why are you crying? This man says, no, I cry so much for people. I cry so much for people. I cry so much for people. For my people, I cry for my people. The villager never understood because he's a Muslim. He did not understand. And he keeps walking. He goes to the village. The next day they show the Jesus film. Everything is going on. The film is going on. It's been about 20 minutes, 30 minutes he's been watching. And it comes to a time in the film where only the picture of Jesus Christ is on the full screen. Only the picture of Jesus Christ. And as this village guy sees the picture of Jesus on that, he shouts out to the crowd and says, Stop now! And everybody's stunned. Why? He keeps shouting, Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! So they stop the film. Only the picture of Jesus Christ. And this village guy says, Who is this? Can somebody tell me who this man is? Can somebody tell me who this man is? And they looked at him and says, Don't you know? He is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Who? Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. I saw this man last night. I saw this man last night as I was walking to the village. I crossed a little bridge and I saw a man crying. And I asked him, why are you crying? And he said, I'm crying for my people. And he's the same man there. It's a true story. Have you got a heart for the people, lost people of the world? That's a hard cry. That's a hard cry. Are we crying? I think many times we do ministry without one bit of sorrow or pain in our heart. Zero pain. Zero sorrow for the lost people of the world. And I think we will become brilliant disciple makers the moment we feel the pain of a person spending eternity in hell. Otherwise, we would have lost it. So a man, a man was excited about this. He was 75. He became a Christian late, I think. He was about 75, and he started sharing about Christ. Two of them were, I don't know the, the details of the story of Foggy, but many of our guys know it, the details of Foggy. But here's it. Two people meet in a hotel room. And so they asked the story to each other. How did you become a Christian? And one of them says, this was in Australia, I think. Uh, no, this was somewhere in one part of the world, so I won't name it, Foggy. Uh, where did you, where did you, how did you become a Christian? You know what? I went to Australia. I was in Australia. I was in Sydney. And I went to this big street. I forget the name. It's one of the most famous streets. Maybe it's a broad street or whatever. He went to that street. And as I was walking on the street, an old man stopped me and he asked me the question, do you know where you will go if you die tonight? That question shook me. I tried to find life and I met Jesus Christ. Amazing story. So this pastor who was in that room goes to another part of the world, New Zealand, he wanted to play golf or something like that. He's roommate with somebody else. And they start talking and he asked the question, 
how did you, are you a Christian? He said, yes. How did you become a Christian? It's crazy. I was in Australia. I was in Sydney. I walked this broad street and an old gentleman asked me the question, do you know where you will go if you die tonight? The question shook me. I bought a New Testament and I found Jesus Christ. The man goes to Africa, the pastor goes to Africa for some other conference and he asks his roommate, how did you become a Christian? He said, it's crazy. I went to Australia. I was in Sydney. <laughs> I went to this broad street and an old gentleman asked me the question, do you know where you'll go if you die tonight? I met a pastor and I become a Christian. The man was curious now. I met already three or four people who become Christians through this guy. So I must go and meet him. So he went to, <clears throat> went to Sydney, went to the broad street around the same time, tried to look for him, couldn't find him. So he went to a little church on that street and said, do you know this guy who asked people this question? Do you know where you go if you die tonight? And the man, the pastor said, oh, yes, you're talking about Frank. He used to do it, doesn't do it anymore. Okay, where is Frank? He now has gone back to his village. Okay, can you give me the address? Yes, sir. So he goes to that little village, taps on the door, comes an old man, and here he is. So can I meet Frank? I am Frank. Frank, how old are you? 80. Are you the one who asked the question, do you know where you'll go if you die tonight? He said, yes, I did it for five years. From 75 years to 80 years, I did it. So you don't do it? I don't do because nobody became a Christian. Nobody became a Christian. And then he said, uh, this man was curious. He said, many people became Christian because of that question. Oh, I'm happy, he said. So the pastor was curious. He took this to Oxford and said, will you do a research on this man? They did a research. 133,000 people became a Christian because of that one question. Do you know where you'll go if you die tonight? You know what drove him? Passion for people who are lost. There's only one passion. Do you know where you'll go if you die tonight? Do I have that passion in my life that I will ask people this question or tell them? Doesn't matter if they receive it or not, but do I have a passion for the lost people of the world? Sometimes we can create churches, we can create organizations, we can create movements, do not have the heart and pain of the world when people are rushing towards hell. We don't have that pain. And we'll be great institutions, fascinating movements, but no heart. Discipleship begins when you feel the pain in your heart for the lost people of the world. Second one, pray that God will have fun. You are 10. Gracious. Okay. <laughs> pray that God will help us to make long-term commitment to disciple-making. Pray and ask God to help us to make long-term commitment, not short-term. I like this, you know, I, what I, I like much of the Western world. I come from India. I like much of the Western world. What I don't like about the Western world is this. Let me give it to you. I make short-term commitments. Right? Short-term commitments. How many years? Two years? To what? Discipleship. Two years? Five years I give my time. Man, it's a lifetime process. Discipleship is lifetime. You don't give two years of your time for life. Discipleship, it's life. This is what you're called to. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. It is not for a short term. It is a lifelong process. So we must pray to God and say, God, for life, I'm here. I want to make disciples. Pray that God will help us to make long-term commitment to disciple making. Many years ago, Amen. our daughter... I Thank you, Len. Right, two of you feel the conviction 
Who of you feel challenged? Who of you feel moved? Really powerful, powerful testimony. I feel very challenged uh, myself. I should have introduced the guy. Uh, he's uh, Paul Moses from India. Uh, quite an intimidating name there for you. Paul Moses. Some high standards to live up. But he uh, is an amazing guy. Uh, he he really lives where he, where he preaches there. He took 12 guys into his house, spent time with them for years and years, and the, the movement has grown to 3,000 people um, that he's impacting in um, Hindu India, in the area that he ministers. Um, but I was just really inspired by those two stories of, um, you know, the Jesus film and Jesus crying for the people, right? His heart being moved. Um, and so our hearts are to be moved for the people, the lost people of this world. Um, and that story of the man, so many times we, we minister, we sow seed, we never see the results of it, right? And isn't it inspiring to, to hear such a story? Just the simple question that an old man asked several people uh, for a relatively sh- short period and it's, it's such an impact um, on people. So inspiring. Such a small thing that we can do in partnership with God can have, can have a massive um, result. So let's, um, let's go and look at Daniel now. Um, some of you are wondering, what has, got, what has Daniel got to do um, with discipleship? Actually, uh, in, in looking at this, I've come to realize that at least the Old Testament, because I always thought of the book of Daniel, I, I, I sort of, I liked all the stories because we, you know, grew up with Daniel, with the lions and, the, you know, in the, the oven, the picture that we saw and all the, the, the crazy visions. But I sort, of, I sort of more liked, you know, Abram or Moses or David because, because Dave, uh, Daniel didn't really lead a massive reform. You know, his, his impact, you know, seemingly didn't look as, um, as massive as... As, as theirs, right? And so you sort of like, oh, David, you know, oh, Daniel, you sort of just shared some, you know, prophetic revelations with, with, with the kings. And uh, looking a bit deeper at the stories, and actually this discipleship aspect, I was struck with the life of Daniel. And like after this week, I've realized that Daniel was the best disciple maker in the Old Testament. Now look at this. Okay. He discipled... Okay, so, so the obvious one is he discipled the three guys, the three guys that were thrown into, in, into, the, into the oven, right? And so Daniel was a man of faith, and so he um, could impart that faith to his three friends. They did similar things to what he did. Okay, so there we see a little aspect of discipleship, massive aspect of discipleship. Um, it's quite intense. Um, come back to that in a second. Um, but look at... so. Other than that, it's, there's three, three that the scriptures tell us, guys, that um, Daniel spoke into their lives and influenced. And it happened to be three kings, right? And it happened to be, firstly, probably, if you look at, there were, there were two of the kings were of the, um, the, the Babylonian Empire, and the third king was of the Persian Empire. And arguably some of the biggest kingdoms in their times. They were similar to the Roman Empire. In fact, you know, their span 
was, in, in all three cases, they ruled the world at a time. So we're not talking about a, a, a little king in a little country ruling a group of people. We're talking about a king um, that is over multiple nations. So we're talking about really powerful, the most powerful person at the time in the world, right? So it just put, puts it in, in context. That's the, that's the one thing I want you to see about these three people that, that Daniel discipled. Now look at, uh, some of you are not convinced yet. It's not, we, don't, we don't see the discipleship yet. But I want to just give you a bit more context. So not only were these guys really powerful people, really influential people, they were some of the craziest people like, that you've come across. In fact, there's some crazy people in the Bible. Now the first king, King Nebuchadnezzar, right? There's, there's two stories, two accounts of like really crazy people. And when I'm saying crazy, I mean like nuts, beyond nuts. Nuts is an understatement. And I'm saying nuts because that's what the Bible says. They were like, not that word, but they lost their minds, right? The one was the, the man at the gatherings that broke chains and lived in the graveyard. But this guy was almost as crazy, Nebuchadnezzar. At a time in his life, you'll remember the story, he lived with wild donkeys, right? He lived with wild donkeys naked. The, the scripture says he grew hair like feathers and, and, and nails like claws. That's how crazy this guy was, right? He was insane, right? Literally, um, for several years because of a, a dream that he had and a prophecy concerning God. Okay, so that's, that's the one. The second one, so it's Nebuchadnezzar, then it's Belshazzar was the second guy. Now, he was the son of Nebuchadnezzar, and so God had restored Nebuchadnezzar. We'll see in a second how uh, amazing that trans personal transformation of that king was. Um, but even though he saw what happened in his, in, his, in his father's life, the craziness and then God restoring him, he, he, he chose to blaspheme God. So he, he, he had this feast, which we're going to read in a second. He had this feast, and um, the feast was blasphemous to the core. Basically, what they took was the temple, all the, um, all the cups and the sauces and the important things in the temple of God, and they threw a party with all these things. So it was really blasphemous, and then God responds. We're going to read in a second. Quite interesting. We'll get to that in a second. But in any case, so he was a really, um, you know, he blasphemed God. Um, so he was quite an intense um, guy as well. And then Darius, the, the first king of the Persian Empire. So did we see the transition of two really powerful empires. And so, you know, Persia became um, the ruler, basically, of the world back in that day. And Darius was the king. And he, one of his first acts as kings was to tell everyone to worship him or die. Okay, now, that's, that's your profile. You know, God says to you, go and disciple these crazy powerful people. You know, a powerful person is one thing. A crazy person is another thing. A crazy powerful person, that is, like, impossible, right? It's, like, impossible, really. Um, to, to think that you're going to influence that guy, it's, it must be a miracle. It must be a miracle of massive proportion. Okay. Now, you can read the book of Daniel. Of course, we don't have time to go through the whole book of Daniel. See how he, how he actually how he, uh, regards 
the king. He honors the king, but he respects God beyond the king, right? And, and the relationship and, and, and the way that he, he sort of challenges the culture, um, but he doesn't give in to the culture, but he respects the culture. And he's sort of, he, he's like the perfect, like I said, he's like the, he's now my hero, da Daniel, of the Old Testament. He's the best disciple maker ever, right? Go and read some of, of what happens. But I want to give you the results so that you can see um, how he discipled. So, so we've just touched on some of the in, in, terrible things. And I mean, if you look at the things that these kings did, they were horrendous. The worst things possible imagined these kings got involved with. But look at Nebuchadnezzar, that crazy king that lived with the donkeys for a while. Um, verse 34, Daniel chapter 4. Um, it says, but at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, this is now his confession um, after Daniel had ministered to him, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the most high and I praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion and his everlasting dominion for his kingdom endures from generation to generation. This is the king, that crazy king. He's saying these words. It's incredible. And, and all the inhabitants of the earth are, are reputed as nothing, and he does, does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can stay his hand or say to him, what have, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me, and my counselors and my laws sought, sought me out. Then I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. This is the confession of the king. Right after, after God's intervention through Daniel. Belshazzar, um, of the three kings, you know, he, he perhaps was, let's say, the least of the success of, you know, Daniel's um, ministry. But I also feel that, you know, when discipleship, one can invest into someone's life, but you can never determine the outcome. You can never control the outcome. You know, one can still choose to harden your heart, right, to, to God. And, and that is not in the discipler's hands, right? It's not even in God's hands. God can give and bless and give opportunity many times, but it's up to the person to decide to harden their heart or to open up their heart to God. And so even though it does not look like, or the Bible doesn't say Belshazzar acknowledged God, um, as his God, he did, however, acknowledge Daniel and, and God working through Daniel. So in a sense, he acknowledged God. So let's see verse 29. Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. So he recognized that God was moving through, through Daniel. Okay, so that's him. Then King Darius this is the end of his story, right? And he was the guy that commanded everyone to worship him, right? We, we sometimes miss the vanity in that, right? Because the, 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 the narrative is about uh, these opponents of um, Daniel that want to get him killed so that basically they can take his position. Really corrupt time, really intense time. But, but a, a king would be so vain as to say, worship me. Right? That is quite intense. But in any case, this is the end of his, um, his story. Uh, chapter 6 is 25. Then Darius wrote to all peoples, 
and nations and languages that dwell on, on the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, may not to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. How's that for discipleship? Right? Uh, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be forever. He delivers and, and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? All right. Okay. So you see the, the fruit of Daniel's ministry. Extraordinary. And um, let's go on. Um, terms of the story, and we're going to read from chapter 5 in a second, but um, so I made the point earlier that Daniel wasn't part of any big reformation, but actually, if you know the biblical account, it was Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and then the Persian Empire took over in King Darius, and the following king was King Cyrus. Who remember something about King Cyrus? King Cyrus was the guy that released uh, Ezra and Nehemiah to go and rebuild the city, right? And he funded the rebuilding of the city, right? So one doesn't always see that connection, right? But his discipleship, you could see, see, see almost see that the discipleship of Daniel influenced King Cyrus that eventually opened up the door to a reformation. Isn't that amazing? So you could look at Daniel and say, well, he just influenced three guys and then they died and there was no influence. But no, there was a multi-generational impact that we don't always see. Um, if he had not, we would have perhaps not seen the rebuild of this, the city because, you know, we know that story. It was a, a very intense story. So, okay, Daniel chapter 5. Let's read and look at um, some of the things that Daniel did. And... Um, this is, this is quite an intense story. In fact, you know, I would liken this to a bit of a horror story, right? The book of Daniel is, is a really traumatic book. I don't know if you realized, but um, like even the, even the, um, the, the furnace, uh, the oven that they were thrown into. Corner Backer said last week at conventions, he said, uh, John, the disciple, was thrown into a burning pot, right? And he survived. Um, and, you know, then he was sent to the Isle of Patmos. But Conrad said, um, he, he, he prayed sort of to God. He said, God, if, if, if I would ever end up into a burning pot, please let me die. Because no amount of counseling or trauma counseling will be able to, to, to help you. Now, imagine these guys being thrown into a furnace, right? Like closed. He's got a bit of claustrophobia. Imagine being enclosed with fire around you. Traumatic stuff. And then the lions and all the other things. But this is a little bit scary, right? Don't read this at night, right? Don't read this at night. Listen to this. Daniel chapter 5, verse 16. Read a portion of scripture. Notice um, the way that uh, Daniel conducts himself. And I've heard of you that you give interpretations and solve problems. This is now the second king, King Belshazzar, to Daniel. He says, now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpre interpretation, you'll be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold around your neck and you shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be to yourself or your rewards to another. 
Yet I will read the writing to the Lord and make known to him the interpretation. I just want to see whether they talk about the story. No, they don't. So the horror story is this. Belshazzar throws that party. We spoke about it earlier. He took the cups of the temple, right? And suddenly behind him appears a hand, right? Quite scary, right? Writes something on the wall, and this king flips out. He's like, this is, this is crazy. And he, he flips out. He gets to all the astrologers, all the other guys. No one can tell him, but he is totally freaked out. This is bugging him to the core. It's like he saw a ghost because, I mean, it's really what it looked like, right? A hand appearing. Can you just imagine? Right, I said horror story. A hand appears and writes on the wall. Um, and the, 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 the hand, the interpretation then is a, is a message of judgment. But let's continue. O king, the most high God, um, God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he, whom he would, he slaughtered, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would set up, he would, um, and whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was de- deposed from his kingly throne, and, and they took um, his glory for him, and he wa- glory from him, and he was. Driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like that of the animals. And his dwelling was with wild donkeys. And he was given grass to eat like oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew uh, the Most High. God rules in the kingdom of men, and that he appoints over it whom he wills. Okay, quite really disturbing stuff again. Yet um, you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. See, like, he, he's, he's, he's not afraid, like, these really powerful people that at, they were known that they would, at the click of a finger, kill someone. He confidently, but yet respectfully, speaks to this king. And you, you can almost sense that Daniel is very aware of his divine mandate, his, his divine calling of God to speak into this king's life. But you can always almost tell that he really loved this king. He really had real concern. And, and you sort of, the Bible doesn't say the word love. But you look at the way that these kings transformed. And you look at the way that they loved Daniel. Right? All three of these kings loved Daniel. In fact, when, when the, the people turned against Daniel and, and set up these tricks, you always see that the king wants to wants to defend Daniel, right? There's this, there's this tension in the king. You, he, he can't give in to the people. He has to keep his face, but he loves Daniel. And, and that just tells you that Daniel really loved these kings, but he loved him so much that he, he spoke the truth, right? And so, yeah, he goes right at it. He, he tells them about his father, and he says, why don't you see your father and respond appropriately? And then he says the, you know, speaks the following words. You have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this, but you were lifted up against the Lord of heaven. And, and they have brought the vessels of the house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine in them. And you have praised the gods of silver and, and bronze and gold, and iron and wood and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor, nor know. And the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose 
are all your ways you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him, and this inscription was written. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many, tekel uparsen. This is the interpretation of the message. Many, God has numbered your kingdom and put it at an end, put an end to it. Um, uh, tekel, do you notice also when delivering the prophetic message, Daniel does not add anything to it. Neither does he soften it or try and sweeten the message, right? He simply delivers the message as he gets it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found one thing, right? Pretty intense stuff to say to such a powerful crazy king, right? Verse 28, Perez, your kingdom has been delivered, oh, sorry, divided and given to Medes and, and Persian, the Persians. Verse 29, then Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel. We read that earlier. He recognized Daniel as, as the prophet of God. All right. So I want to I want to end off. I'm going to just share some couple of thoughts, learning discipleship from Daniel, and then I want to share a vision, and then we we're going to just end off praying this morning. So, the first part of discipleship that we see with Daniel, and I already alluded or well, mentioned this earlier, is was he imparted faith to his friends. We see that the the the, the it wasn't just that he had apprentices that he passed on information. No, the guys, the friends of Daniel, the, his disciples were as bold as him, right? Because he didn't just share stuff with him. He shared faith with him. He imparted faith to them. So they weren't copies of Daniel, but they could in themselves be really bold. You'll notice that, that the, the three friends of Daniel, when they were thrown into the oven, they, Daniel wasn't there. Right? It wasn't like he said, guys, no, 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 you better do this. It's the right thing to do. No, they made it their own. Right? So first, firstly, he understood um, the power of impartation and he imparted faith. Secondly, we, we see that there was a real intentionality with, with Daniel in, in speaking to the kings. Um, it was not just a, a statement of being countercultural. Um, but it was a real heart to honor the true king and seeing transformation in the earthly kings, right? There was an intentionality about David. It wasn't like he was, he was like really waiting and hoping things would happen. No, he purposefully ministered to the king, right? He really, he really, you know, he was every time he was prepared and ready, right? When he had inter a prophetic interpretation, but there was intentionality about his discipleships. Thirdly, um, there was a strong supernatural theme, right? Daniel discipled in the supernatural, okay? Every time it was the supernatural that presented the platform for Daniel to speak into the king's life, right? Whether it's a dream interpretation or a vision, um, he obviously had a specific prophetic gift, all right, and, and there's diversity of gifts, but he used, he owned his gift, right? And, you know, dream interpretation, who thought that that would be a really amazing discipleship tool? But it was, it was. It was the gift that God had given him. And so he lived from a place of being, you know, you know stewarding his gift, 
and then using that as a platform. But he, he discipled in the supernatural. It wasn't just like a task thing for him. He really trusted God by faith. He could speak into people's lives. The fourth point was, every time he pointed people to God, he never drew attention to himself. Right? A good discipler points people to God. A good discipler realizes, listen, um, God is the, the, the true answer. He has the true answer. Right? And many times when we're speaking to people's life, I was, someone sent me a message last night, and I thought, um, okay, I know the answer to that. And then I had to stop myself, and I had to say, well, no, no, no. I can give an answer, but God can give a much better answer. Let me just step back and not now go and give the answer and, and, and really just encourage the person to find God in this struggle because there's this, there's this struggle, right? And so, you know, that's what we see with Daniel is he always pointed the king to God. And, and the end result would be that the people actually connected to God. The king's connected to God. I don't know if you read what they said about gods. Uh, sorry, about the true God, these kings. But it was almost revelation, revelationary. It's like the, what you receive there is like you have connected with the true God. Um, you received revelation. It's not just information from Daniel that you're relaying. They internalized um, because they had really connected with the, the true God. And the fifth point is um, Daniel was a power witness. Um, every time he brought a message of power, <coughs> excuse me, um, the messages that Daniel brought um, was, was incredible. Everywhere went, he demonstrate, demonstrated God's power. In fact, the, the prophetic messages are some of the most accurate prophecies in the Bible, fulfilled to the T hundreds of years ahead of time. Right? There's no ways that you could do that through foresight. You know, if you look at just the book of Daniel and the prophecies in there, just politically how the world has shifted and changed, the, the, the political empires that he prophesied even over the Roman Empire and how it would come about. And, and, and you know, he prophesied obviously of the end times. So some of it still needs to be fulfilled. Um, but he demonstrated his message with power. He was a power witness. And then sixth, the last point, and one of the most powerful ones is he was morally pure, right? There was no corruption in Daniel. In fact, um, the confession, his enemies, right? When they looked at Daniel and this, this, this new king, the king of Persia, and they thought, how could we devise a scheme to get Daniel out? Because we see that, you know, this, because the king actually wanted to promote Daniel. So they were like, how can we, how can we get something on this guy? And they found nothing. They said they, they actually said there is nothing on this guy. He is, and their confession was he is trustworthy and there's no corruption in him. This is his enemies, right? And so they said, well, let's do something to trick him. And so they said they devised the scheme um, for him to be imprisoned because he's, he's, he's worshiping on his knees in his room. But he was morally pure. They could find nothing on this guy um, because he did everything. Knowing that God is in the room, that's how Daniel lived. And, and that, in, that really um, struck the hearts of the people around him. Some, some people out of jealousy disliked him, and that's, that's always a given. 
right? Jesus says, in this world, you will have opposition. There's, there's going to be opposition. Because the world hated me, Jesus says, there'll be people that hate you. In fact, the, fact, the reason that there are people that hate you indicates that you are doing the right thing. Someone once said, if no one opposes you or hates you, you must ask yourself the question, right? Am I doing the right thing? So discipleship, and here's the, the bottom line message. Um, discipleship is actually not an option, right? And actually, strictly speaking, and God's grace is an amazing, but a disciple is someone that disciples. Actually, if we don't disciple you, the moment you stop discipling is the moment you stop being a disciple of Jesus. God really still loves you. He really, he, he, there's always the invitation to God, but, but his primary call in this life is to go and make disciples. That defines you as being disciple is someone that makes disciples. And so I said I'm going to share vision, and I, I was, I was just busy in worship, and I, 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 suddenly it's like I could smell soil, um, like physically, not really, but it was so real that it, it felt like I could. And I, and I, and I just felt that the, the soil, I just almost like I knew what I'm smelling is fruitful ground. And, and, I, and I felt that what God is saying is that the, the ground has been prepared, right? The ground is ready. And, and I felt God said, test me. It's almost like a challenge. Just, just put some seed in the ground. And you will see what happens, right? You will see a great harvest. And, and yes, yes, what I, I believe is the word. And I felt God said that some of us have sown seed into unfruitful ground. And disappointment followed, right? Disappointment because you really believed that this would happen and this would produce lots of fruit. Sort of like that testimony, right? That old man. Faithfully for five years, he asked the question, asked the question, asked, sow seed, sow seed, sow seed into people's lives. By the way, I saw the vision before I had that testimony. That's why it ministered to me. So, but, and then he just gave up because he said no, and it didn't really affect no one, although he didn't really know. All right? And, and so some of us here, I believe, is, are discouraged. You've sort, of, you've sort of given up in a sense. Not really. You, you, you haven't really, because if people would ask you, you would say, no, I'm a disciple, I, I disciple people. But, but really in your heart, you're a little bit disappointed, right? And you're little, your confidence has taken a knock. And I want to pray for you this morning. And one of the most important things in the kingdom is that we learn to overcome disappointment, right? There's this, there's this tension in this world, and there are disappointments, Right? There are lots of disappointments. In fact, there's a good case for that there will be more disappointments, right? In, in, in many, if you just look biblically, you know, more disappointments than good stories, right? Some of us are blessed and we see more, more good stories. But some of the heroes of the faith, they saw more bad stories, right? You know, and they had to get through the disappointment. We see many of the prophets had this struggle, right? They didn't see what they sowed, and that's one of the difficulties of the Christian walk. And I love what Paul Moses says. He says, uh, discipleship, it's not a short-term commitment. 
It's not a, I do something, I see something. I do something, I see something. No, it's a lifelong commitment, life commitment to Jesus and to obeying his commission. So I want to ask us just to stand and Ben, if you guys can come up. I want to pray for us this morning. And uh, we're going to end off with the hope challenge and the offering. I said that to remind myself because I always forget about the offering. I want to pray for us this morning if you... Let's just close our eyes. Just stand still where you are. Just open up your heart to God. And I really feel that this morning is a heart thing. It's not a mind thing. We know the right answers. We know, we know what, what should happen. We know what, um, what the scripture says. We know the right answer. But have we allowed our hearts to be moved? Or are our hearts overwhelmed? That is a real, a really real issue, especially in this, this, in our time, in, in this nation. Because everything is just overwhelming. You almost feel like if I just open my heart a, a slight bit, it's gonna overwhelm. It's gonna be too much. I cannot handle the pain. I cannot handle it if I just open up and if I just consider it. So, so I'd rather close off, and I'd rather not consider all the pain around me, all the suffering, and, and everything that's going on. Um, and I'll just, I'll just be like a good person, and I'll do, do some things that I can, and, you know, I'll be the good person, right? I'll just, I'll just be, you know, blessing where I can, but I'm not going to really let my heart be moved and really feel the suffering, really allow what, what is happening around us, and, and, and the ultimate destruction, the ultimate fact that, that some people are heading straight towards hell. They are heading straight towards destruction. And, and we go through difficulties, we go through suffering, but, but, but I'm just so aware that my worst suffering at this time is not as close as what I was before I knew God. Because in my suffering, I can always come to God and God would be there. That is the ultimate story of Daniel. I mean, look at his life. He... He suffered a lot. He was thrown into the diffic most difficult, difficult situations. And like that encouragement of the Great Commission, the last statement, Jesus says, but lo, I am with you always. And that is the message, the life message of Daniel, is God is with you, right? He is with you in the most difficult circumstances. Just imagine him standing before the king. I'm sure he would have been trembling on the inside. This powerful king at the click of his hands can kill me and destroy me. But yet he, he walked around with this deep revelation that God is with me. And even in opening our hearts and allowing a little bit of the suffering, the pain of people around us, the pain of the lost, God is with you there right? God would not overwhelm you. So don't take on pain of people without God. That would destroy you, right? That would not help anyone because you'll just end up being full of pain, right? But take on the yoke of Jesus that is light. The yoke of Jesus in partnership with Him. See again, our small contributions become massively influential 
one question that a man asked. 133,000 people's lives were impacted for eternity. What are the challenges that God is giving you? What are the instructions that God is giving you? What are the commandments that Jesus are giving you to speak into people's lives? And remember, the Great Commission is not a great suggestion. It's a great commandment. It's for us to obey. It's not a nice idea, right? One day God is going to say to us, what have you done with this commandment? This is not a message of judgment or it's not a message. It's not a hard message, but it's an invitation into a life of obedience with Jesus. It's an invitation again to come to say, Jesus, I know that you care for me. And I know if I care for you, you take care of me. I take care of your needs. And Father, this morning, we choose to take care of your needs. We choose to to be like the man in Afghanistan who saw Jesus and Jesus was just saying, my people, I care for my people. My heart is for my people. And we choose to embrace your heart this morning. I want to ask you, while every eye is closed, and there will be an opportunity to commit to discipleship. But firstly, you have been disappointed. This morning, I want you to be honest with God and to raise your disappointment to Him. And say, God, I've, I've, I've trusted you. I've stepped out and it felt like nothing had happened. I feel a little bit like that old man. I've given up. This isn't, this isn't for me. Some other people, they call to discipleship. Other people, they, they're gifted to do this. Maybe they're more, their personalities are more suited to discipleship. I'm going to pray for you. Father, why don't you just stretch out your hands if that's you. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus that you would come in, God, and, and that you would bring your healing, God. And God, I want to pray, Father, as many times, God, we sow, but we don't see the results. But one day in heaven, we will see the results. And so, Father, I want to ask you that you would come in, comfort her, help her. Come and comfort us and settle the questions of our hearts. Settle, settle, God, um, how it was so difficult, God, to speak into someone's life. And then, God, they rejected us, God, and I'm still sitting with that rejection. And so, Father, we pray for the healing of the rejection, God. God, maybe some of us have burned out. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would breathe new life. Breathe new life and come and restore, God. Thank you, God. Restore to us the lost art of discipleship. It's not a hard thing, God, but it's a, it's a joy. It's the greatest fulfilling thing that we, we can do in this life is to affect people for eternity. God, there's many things in this life that we can do, and it changes things for a moment. Maybe a day, maybe a week. But God, discipleship changes people for eternity. And God, we, we want to say yes to that this morning. Why don't you just, if you want to say a new commit to, um, to, to taking God's great commission and making it your own as a disciple and saying, God, I want to be a disciple again. I want you to raise your hand as well. And say, God, give me the grace to be able to complete the task. Give me wisdom, God. Give me wisdom and insight, 
knowledge and understanding, the fear of the Lord and counsel God. Come and minister to my heart and empower me, God, to be able to do it. But I'd say yes, Holy Spirit. I say yes to speaking to my colleagues, to speaking to the kings around me. God, you are not confused. God, there's a reason you chose the book of Daniel this morning. Some of us are going to minister to kings, God. Influential people in high places, God. And we're not going to have the words. We're not going to have the strategy. But yet you're going to give us opportunities before kings. God, and you're going to give us the words right then and there. And, and, and it's, 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 it's not something that we can figure out the plan. But we can be ready. And we can say yes. And so we say yes to you, Jesus. We say yes to your Holy Spirit. Give us dreams and visions, God. Understanding. Spirit of wisdom and insight and power, God. To complete your task. To complete your work. I want to pray this morning, if you are here, your heart is far from God. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus or you just, you've just drifted. You've drifted. To see a picture of, 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 of wood on, on a river and it's like the, 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 the wake has taken you and you're on that wood. You, say, you know which side you're supposed to go, but it's like the waters were just too strong. It just took you to the other side. And God says, I'm reeling you in right now. I'm reeling you in. It's like I've, I've, I've thrown my rope and I've caught your drift to it and I'm pulling you back to me. But but you need to take the rope and you need to put it around that driftwood so that it can be pulled in, so that it can be reeled in. I want to pray for you this morning. Jesus wants to save you and he wants to save you again. Why don't you just indicate by lifting up your hand if that's you this morning. Thank you for that hand. Is there anyone else? You need to come to Jesus. Maybe you've never publicly given your life to Jesus. Here's your opportunity. While every eye is closed, say, Jesus, I come to you. I take the rope and I put it around the drifted so that you can reel me in. I, I say yes, Jesus. Just feel that there's one person still. You need to respond to the love of Jesus this morning. Don't hold back. Don't wait for later. While every eye is closed, say, Jesus, I'm yours. Here I am. Where is that person? Just slip up your hand quickly while every eye is closed. 